Hey friends, this is Keenan, the Creative Arts Minister at the Christian Church of Carl Junction. And I just want to say thank you for joining us for this podcast. The Christian Church of Carl Junction exists to glorify God by being disciples who make more disciples. We do that by coming to God, thriving in family, and going on mission for His kingdom. We hope that this podcast helps you take next steps in following Jesus with everything that you have. Now, here's today's podcast episode. Good morning. Welcome here to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. I'm glad you're with me in the room online. We're so glad to be together today as we continue our series called Disciple. Remember, I've said before in this series, the word disciple is translated from a word that's pronounced methetes. Methetes literally means learner. You're a a learner, someone who's learning to be like your master, in our case, Jesus. So a disciple is someone who's learning to be like, to look like, to live like, to act like, to speak like Jesus. And we want to be people who are learning to be more like Jesus. Disciples. We've been in the series walking through the Gospel of Mark so far. Last Sunday, Keenan Klein, our creative arts minister, shared a fantastic message out of Mark chapter 5. Today, we're going to start right after, the very next verse after he ended last week, with Mark chapter 5, verse 21. If you want to go ahead and turn there, Mark 5, verse 21, we're going to see Jesus interact uh, in a crowd and with two different individuals, and I believe he will speak to you about your condition today and how he sees you differently than the world does. Before I start reading in Mark chapter 5, verse 21, I want to pray for us here. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving this word so that we can read it in this moment right here. Thank you for uh, inspiring Mark to write these words down. And Father, thank you for uh, inspiring us, encouraging us with them today. I pray that we would leave here today more confident in who we are in you, more sure of what you're doing in our life, and with more boldness to act like you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark 5, verse 21. Let's look there. It starts off by saying, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. If you remember, if you heard last week's message, if you missed it, I would love for you to check it out on cccj.church. See that right there? But Last week, Kenan shared about how Jesus was in a, a boat. He crossed over the lake, and he went to an area called the region of the Gerasenes. He walked up on the shore, and there was a man living in the tombs who was possessed by a legion of demons, thousands of demons, and they came running at him, fell at his feet, and Jesus healed him of all these demons. Demons went to the pigs, the pigs went to the lake and were drowned. The town got upset, said, leave us. So they got back in the boat and headed across the lake. Well, right here we pick it up. He had again crossed over the lake. A large crowd gathered around him there. Everywhere Jesus went, he seemed to draw a crowd. How many times have I said that over the series? He seemed to draw a crowd. And Jesus was very comfortable in the crowds. He was comfortable in the crowd, interacting with a crowd of people, talking to a crowd of people. He was very comfortable with that. And that's good news for us because you and I, we all live crowded lives. We live crowded lives. Our lives are crowded by information and we're crowded by entertainment. 
We're crowded by relationships. We're crowded by advertisements. We're crowded by options. We are busy people living crowded lives. And sometimes it feels like we don't have time for the things that we really want to do. In fact, we say sometimes, maybe you've said this, I have, I've heard it. We say, you know, when life slows down, then I'll do this thing. When life slows down, when, when my kids are out of the house, then we will do what we've always wanted to do. When I get financially stable, then we will do what I know I should do. When I retire, when summer gets here, then we'll be able to slow down a little bit, and then summer hits, and the reality of things kick in, and we start saying, when summer ends, then I will be able to slow down and do what I want to do. The truth is, life never slows down. Never. We read in the Gospels all the people that lived back 2,000 years ago that Jesus interacted with, and it's easy for us to mistakenly think they lived these slow-paced, calm, unhurried lives. And it was easier then to follow Jesus than it is now, but the truth is, life has always been busy. It's always been complicated. It's always been crowded. Life never slows down. There's always a busy season after this busy season. And Jesus had this incredible knack to get out of the crowd, to be solitary, to be alone, to be on his own. He would go to pray, and the crowd would follow him. He would slip away to spend time with the Father, and the crowd would hunt him early in the morning. There's always busyness to life. The key is not waiting for the busy season to end so we can slow down and do what we think we should do. The key is finding ways in the crowd to pursue Jesus. Because life never slows down. We're always going to live crowded lives. The key is finding ways to pursue Jesus in the crowded life. The next verse says, Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus, he came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. See, Jairus has a, a bad thing going on. Jairus is having a bad time in life, and he knows he has to find Jesus, so where does he go? He goes to the crowd to find Jesus. He finds him in the middle of it. He pleaded earnestly with Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so she'll be healed and live. If you've had kids, you know what it's like to love your child and to be afraid and worried for your child. And This man's no different than any of us. He says, please come so my little daughter can live and be healed so she's not sick anymore. And he goes to find Jesus in the crowd because Jairus knows what some of us have already figured out. When life starts to fall apart, where do we turn? We turn to Jesus. When, when life... When life gets difficult, we run to Jesus. When things get hard, we go to Jesus. That's where we find all of our hope. That's where we find all of our healing and all of our life. And so we go find him where? In the crowd. That's where he is. It's possible to find Jesus in the busyness of life. I love the next sentence. The next sentence just shows the heart of Jesus. He started off here, verse 21, focused on sharing with the people, preaching the kingdom of heaven has come near. I'm sure it's something like that. The kingdom of heaven has come near. He preached over and over and over again. And then Jairus comes and says, help me. And in the middle of the crowd, when he's focused, and Jesus was the master of the focused mission, in the middle of it all, 
it says, so Jesus went with him. And I love that. Because in the middle of what was important, Jesus said, I'm going to pause it, I'm going to put it down, and I'm going to go help you. You know, when Jesus talked about how the shepherd will leave the 99 to pursue the one, when you talk about how every person matters, Jesus really meant it. He illustrated it with his actions right here. He left the crowd that he was teaching to go with the one who was hurting, who needed healing. He went to help. I love that the heart of Jesus is for individual people. He loves us, and he knows us. It says, then, when he went with Jairus, it says a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So the crowd that Jesus was with, when Jesus slipped out of the crowd to go with Jairus, the crowd said, oh, we're coming too. And they kind of followed along. And so Jesus, who was focused on teaching the crowd, he was distracted by Jairus because his little daughter is sick. Now he's traveling along. He's about to be distracted again from his distraction. It says that a woman was there in the crowd who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. This was a painful situation for her it was uncomfortable it was socially unacceptable religiously it made her unclean socially unacceptable pushed out of people ostracized by her neighbors and her family mocked by her former friends this woman was in a bad place and so jesus when he starts off in this passage he's in a crowd it's busy and a man comes and says, help. And so he says, okay. And a woman comes and says, help. And he's about to say, okay. Because Jesus wants to meet us even in the business of life. This woman, it says in the next verse, that she had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. Many doctors. And she had spent all that she had. She was, she was completely broke now. She'd spent everything trying to get better. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. How often... How often do we try to do things to get better and those things actually make us worse? Is that possible? Is it possible that we've invested ourselves in ways to fix our lives that actually have made us worse than we were to begin with? When I share the gospel with people, I love to use a little image. We call it the three circles. I love to use it and I, I, I draw it out for people. And, and when I share this little image, I, I draw a circle with a heart in it. I say, God made the world perfect in his image. He made you and you and you and you perfect in his image to be just like him. But then we rebelled because we were tempted and we rebelled and we chased after our temptations and we sinned in our life. And, and because of that, the perfect world that God made was broken by sin. I draw a little circle with a little jagged line that we broke it. We broke the world. But then we try to fix it on ourselves. We try to fix our situation all by ourselves. We try to fix our condition on our own. And we try to do it through all kinds of things. We try to, to fix our condition through, through jobs and pay raises and more money and better finances. It doesn't work. And we try to fix our brokenness through fame and popularity and it doesn't work. We try to fix our brokenness through great ideas and New inventions, and it doesn't work. Technology never fixes spiritual brokenness. And we try to fix our brokenness through drugs, through alcohol, through addictions, through pornography, through all the things that we lean on. It doesn't work. 
And every little thing that we turn to snaps us back like a bungee cord back into our brokenness. Now, it might make us feel better for a time. You notice Mark, when he wrote this here, he wrote this and he didn't say she never felt better. It just said that she didn't get better. So there's a difference between feeling better in a moment and getting better in life. And so sometimes in our brokenness, we will pursue things that we think will fix our situation, but it doesn't. It just it makes us feel better for a moment, and then it pulls us back into brokenness, and we're worse off than we were to begin with. And then we discover the only way out of this brokenness that we have is through Jesus. And we know, because we've read the whole gospel, we have the whole Bible in front of us, we know this, that because Jesus came from heaven to earth to die on a cross, be buried in a tomb, and then come back to life again, that we have hope to be rescued and healed out of our brokenness. And we know that the only healing out of brokenness comes through Jesus, but this woman hasn't figured that out yet. Over the last 12 years now, for 12 long years, this woman, this woman has been writing the book on trying to fix herself. Paying doctors. Going to uh, crazy uh, extremes and trying home remedies and trying socially acceptable things and nothing's worked and she's getting worse. There's nothing that she can do can fix herself. But then it says when she had heard about Jesus, when she heard about Jesus, well, what has she heard? I mean, at this point, we've been following Jesus through the Gospel of Mark for a while. What has she heard? At this point, she'd, she'd probably heard about how he... He had gone to a river and he was baptized by John the baptizer in the water. And when he came out of the water, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. And then this dove, the Spirit of God, came down and landed on his shoulder. And it was like nothing that people had ever seen before. He's different. She'd probably heard that he'd been born in a place called Bethlehem. And the shepherds had gone and told everybody how he was the Messiah, the Son of God, and like nothing they'd heard. And she'd probably heard that he'd gone to a wedding. And when they ran out of wine, he turned the water into the wine, and the people were all amazed. She's heard things about Jesus. She might even have heard about how just the other day, across this lake, there was a man possessed by demons, and he was healed of his demons. And then the demons went to the pigs. The pigs ran to the lake, and they were all killed. And that's different. She's heard about Jesus. And because she's heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, in the busyness, while Jesus was going to help Jairus, and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Just the, the, the hem of his garment, it says in another gospel, the part that drug through the mud and the dirty streets, if I just touch the very bottom of the cloak, I'll be healed. She's desperate, but she's heard about Jesus, and with Jesus, she thinks she's found the way to be healed that she can never figure out on her own. I just want to be touched and healed. And Mark says, right here, he says that when she touched him, immediately, her bleeding stopped. And she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. 
Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt her body. She felt it. I'm healed. She knew it. It was immediate. And that's about all we know about the woman. That's about all we find out from the Gospels about the woman, that she had suffered with this physical condition for a dozen years, and then she went and she touched Jesus and she got healed. That's about all we know. We know culturally how she would have been exiled and unclean. We know that, but we don't know her name. It never tells us her name. It doesn't tell this is this lady's name is Sally. It doesn't tell you that. Just a woman suffering from a physical illness. And we know her by her condition. All of us do. That's how we know her. In fact, the other day, someone asked me, what are you preaching on Sunday, Adam? And I just, I didn't even say Mark 5. I just said, it's, it's the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. Oh yeah, I know that. That's how we know her. That's all we know about her. And we've labeled her because of her condition, the condition that we can see, the condition that the town could see, the condition that they knew. They had labeled her. That's going to be important. Remember that. Going on here, it says at once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and he asked, Who touched my clothes? Well, remember, this crowd's pressing in all around. Mark already told us that. But he, he stops, he can feel it go out, and he says, Who touched me? This is literally Jesus looking over the crowd saying, Who did it? I know it's one of you. Who did it? I want to know. Now, between you and me, I think that maybe he knew, but he might have wanted her to identify herself. So who did it? Well, the disciples, they speak to him next person. They say, Jesus, you see the people crowding against you. They're all around, and yet you can ask who touched me? Everybody's touching you, Jesus. To paraphrase the original language, I think might have said, that's a crazy question. That's crazy. Everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? But Jesus, uh, it says, Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Jesus just kept looking. He said, who did it? That's crazy, Jesus. And he just kind of says, I'll wait. And just keeps looking. You know, it's like, it's like if you're a parent of small children and they've, they've done something, and you know they've done something, and you want them to volunteer that they did it? And you're like, who did it? No one. In fact, they've never even met me before. They don't know anything about this. And as a parent, you're like, I'll wait. And you just kind of look at them for a while. They'll crack. That's what Jesus said. He's, I'll wait. He's kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman Knowing what had happened to her, the woman came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. Trembling with fear because she's timid and she's she's suffered from a dozen years now of being publicly maligned. She's broken more than a dozen rules by coming into the crowd in the first place. She's unclean because of her physical state to touch Jesus. So trembling with fear, this woman who was so desperate, she was willing to break some of the social constructs of the time. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. She says the whole testimony, Jesus, I've been trying everything I could find for a dozen years and nothing works. Verse 
Nothing works. I keep getting worse. So I thought if I just came and touched you, I could get healed. And you know what? When I touched the hem of your cloak, I was immediately, I could feel it. I know immediately I was healed. You changed me when nothing else could. And she says this to Jesus in front of the whole crowd. She tells the whole crowd the testimony of what God's done for her. And Jesus looks at her. And he says, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is, this is huge. I mean, how do we know this lady? We don't know her by name. We don't know her by her family. We only know her by her condition. We only know her by what we can see in her. She's broken. She's sick. She's bleeding. She's unclean. She's, she's not able to be helped. She's worthless. She's nothing. We look at this woman and we only know her by the condition that we see. But when Jesus looks at her, he sees a different condition. Jesus doesn't say to her, woman who's been bleeding for a dozen years, go in peace and be free from your suffering. He doesn't refer to her the way the town refers to her. He doesn't refer to her the way that you and I refer to her. He looks at her and he says, daughter. He sees a different condition in her than what we see. And this is incredible because we have all lived lives where we have rebelled. We've run from the goodness of God and we've lived in a broken place. And Jesus knows us by our condition. The world around us tells us who we are and they're wrong. The world around you says you, you are, you're a liar because you lied that time and they'll never forget it. And they keep reminding you, so you're a liar. But Jesus looks at you and he says, no, you're not. You're my son. The world looks at you and says, you know what? You're, you're worthless. You're not good for anything. There's nothing you can accomplish. You're a miserable, miserable failure. And Jesus says, no, you know what? You're not. You're my daughter. The world says you're used up. You're done. And Jesus says, no, you are the vessel of my Holy Spirit, and I have things for you to do still. The world looks and says, you're a failure, and Jesus says, no, you're redeemed. The world says, you're, you're lost, and Jesus says, no, you're found. Jesus knows you by your condition. We read back in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel when, when uh, Samuel's anointing David to be the next king and God reminds him that God doesn't look at the outside. He doesn't see the condition the world sees. He sees the heart, the inside condition. He sees you as you really are, not as the world sees you. And Jesus knows you by that condition, but he only recognizes two conditions. There's only two things he recognizes. There is rebellious and there is rescued. There is running from God and there is being rescued by God, surrendering to God. There is, there is sinful, broken, rebellious, and there is redeemed and made whole, fixed. And Jesus says, don't let the world tell you who you are. You're my son. You're my daughter. 
I know you. And he refuses to call the woman by what the world called her. He says, daughter, your faith has freed you. Go. Be healed. And while Jesus was still speaking, because remember, he started off in the crowd teaching, focused, was distracted by Jairus, then was distracted by the woman. Because he kept healing and helping the people in front of him, while he was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. They came from his house, and they brought a message. They said to Jairus, they said, your daughter is dead. Your daughter is, is, is dead. She's, she's died from the condition that she had. And then they say, why bother the teacher anymore? Why bother this guy? There's nothing to be done. Now, if we think of Jairus here, I imagine that when Jesus was in the crowd at first, and he was focused on teaching, and Jairus was so intent on getting to Jesus, he's desperate for help, desperate for hope in this moment, and he claws his way, and he pushes his way through the crowd, and he squeezes through the people, and he gets to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, my little daughter is dying. Can you come and help? He's desperate. And when Jesus looks at him and says, okay. Lead the way. Achiris, as a father, he is ecstatic. He's ecstatic. He, the thing he's hoping for is about to happen. So come on, Jesus. And he starts leading on the way. And I imagine, I imagine that they make a quick trip. He's like, come on. He's walking fast. Hurry, hurry, hurry. Let's get there. Let's get home. We got to get there. And on the way, this woman shows up and touches him. And Jesus just freezes. And Jairus gets ahead a little bit, looks back. He's like, whoa, Jesus. He's like, wait, who touched me? That's crazy. I'll wait. And Jairus, who was first desperate, and then he was ecstatic. Now, I think he's frustrated. Jesus, come on. No one wants to talk to you. I'll wait. Jesus. Come on. My daughter's life depends on it. Come on. I'll wait. Jesus. And he's getting antsy. He's starting to hop a little bit. He's like, come on. Maybe he even reached out and, and tried to pull Jesus along a little bit. Come on. Because sometimes, maybe you are like me, sometimes I so desperately want to see Jesus work and heal and change lives that... I've been guilty of trying to speed it along a little bit. Come on. And Jesus says, no, we'll wait. And he stands there. And the woman speaks, tells the whole testimony, and he says, you're my daughter. Go and be healed. And the woman jumps up, the one that no one recognized coming along through the crowd, jumps up and heads back through the crowd again. And then Jesus says, okay, let's go, Jairus. And somebody shows up and says, your daughter's dead. And in that moment, I just, I, I imagine, because Jairus is human, just like we are, I imagine that his desperation that turned to being ecstatic, that turned to frustration, I think that maybe now it's turned to anger. Seriously? We were this close, Jesus. We were this close. All you had to do was just come along. And now she's dead. We failed. 
And I think that maybe Jairus starts to do what I would do in that moment of, of intense emotion. Maybe he's kicking the ground a little bit, stomping his foot, and clenching his fist. He's like, Jesus! And everybody looks at Jairus and says, why bother? Why bother? It's a waste of his time now. Nothing to be done. Just as a side note, have you ever caught yourself maybe been praying for something for a long time? You've been asking for something for a long time and it's not been happening? And you see other people sharing stories of how God's blessed them and made things better for them. And you've been asking God for a long time to fix whatever's wrong with your body, your marriage, your family, your kids, your finances, your job, your life. And you've been like, Jesus, just help me. And it's not happening. But people just keep coming to church and saying, hey, God blessed me this week. We had a bill and a check showed up. It was awesome. You're like, I didn't get a check. I was asking. And someone shows up and says, man, it was great. My relative that was sick, they went for another cancer screening. He was healed. It was awesome. You're like, what, what, what? I've been praying for that. And someone shows up and says, man, this is my wife and our marriage is fixed. And everything's great. And we, we've never been healthier than we are now. And it's all thanks to Jesus. And everybody claps and says, that's great and that's awesome. You're like, but I've been praying for it. Have you ever found yourself being angry that God's helping them but not you? Because I think that's what Jairus is feeling right now. He just watched this woman get healed, but not his daughter. You ever been angry at God like that? And they look at Jairus, at Jairus they say, hey, why bother? And I think Jairus might have even just throw his hands up and said, you're right. And turn to go home. You know, every single time that God speaks to you, there's somebody whispering in your ear, why bother? Every single time that Jesus says to you, you know what, I've called you for a special purpose, there's an enemy, a devil, saying in your ear, why bother? Maybe when you were young, but you're old now. Every single time Jesus says to you, come on, i got a plan for your family, there's that devil saying, why bother? Why bother? I, I mean, it's too far gone. Every single time, Jesus says, you can do it. I'll put my spirit in you, and you have the authority of my kingdom. You can speak my words. That, that devil says, why bother? You're not educated enough. There's always somebody whispering, why bother, making us want in our anger and our frustration and our disappointment to throw our hands in the air and say, fine, I'm done. Maybe this morning you had a hard time showing up here in this room or turning the computer on to watch online. You had a hard time coming to worship today. Because you're in a why bother moment. I need you to hear me say exactly what Jesus told Jairus. When he overheard what they said, the next verse says, when they overheard what they said, Jesus told Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Because when, when God says something to you, whether he says it to you through a prayer or through someone that's speaking to you or through his word or it's a promise in scripture, when God says something, he means it. When God says it, 
he follows through with it. When he promises it, he never forgets it. And Jesus looks at Jairus, because in the crowd, Jairus said, my little daughter is dying, come heal. And Jesus said, okay. Now Jesus' timing is not always the timing I want, certainly not what Jairus wants. And they come and say, your daughter's dead, why bother? He's like, shoot! And Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe. I said I would heal her. Don't be afraid. Some of us in here, some of us in this community, we struggle because we look at the, the news and the world around us. If you watch the news for more than 30 seconds, you can tell this. Our whole world's falling apart. It's not really any more falling apart now than it was 100 years ago. It just feels like it because life keeps being busy. Everything's falling apart, though. And you look at the brokenness and the hurt and the pain and the evil in the world, and you say, Jesus, I thought you said you were going to come back and make it all right. Why bother? We've got to remember that Jesus' timing is not our timing. And what you're praying for, what you're struggling with, what you're dealing with, what you're going through, if Jesus said, I'm preparing a place for you where you won't deal with that anymore, he meant it. He meant it. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Continuing on, it says, He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, the three disciples. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jairus' house, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And he went in and he said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. Remember, Jesus sees her in the condition he sees her in, not in what the people saw. She's not dead, she's sleeping. And the people laughed because when Jesus speaks, sometimes the world laughs at him. And when you speak the words of Jesus, they laugh at you too. Expect that. Don't be surprised by it. After he'd put all the people out of the house now, Jesus took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him. Whenever the child was, he took her by the hand. And he said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old, Mark tells us. She had been alive the exact number of years the, the woman had been sick. Little, little coincidence there. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. And she got up and she walked around. Because Jesus, when he meets the, the woman who's been bleeding, he doesn't see her like the world sees. When he meets the girl who's dead, he doesn't see her like the, the people see. He sees the condition that he made through the act on the cross and the resurrection through the tomb. Bottom line today is this. When Jesus looks at you, he doesn't see the, world, the way the world sees you. He sees either somebody who's actively running away from him or somebody who's actively following him, being rescued and redeemed by him. That's what Jesus sees. If you've been struggling for 12 years or 12 minutes, if you've been hurting physically or emotionally, spiritually, mentally, relationally, whatever it is, if you've been hurting in any way, then today I want to invite you to follow Jesus for the first time. To say to Jesus, Jesus, everything else I've tried just made me worse. But I believe you can heal me. Because I read in here that you can. 
and I don't want to be afraid, I just want to believe. So today, I invite you, if you've never followed Jesus, to follow him for the first time. The way that we follow Jesus here as a part of this church is we are baptized into water. We're lowered into the water. And when we are, our past condition is forgiven and washed away and forgotten about. And we come out of the water with his Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is, uh, we have a new condition where we get to live and thrive the way he made us to be today I want to invite you to take that step if you're in the room in a moment we start to sing you can just go out the back door to the next steps table and I will meet you there if you're online you can send us uh, a message right now and we will communicate with you we'll meet you somewhere to take care of helping you take this next step we want you to leave the life that the world says is broken and to move into the condition of being rescued and redeemed and healed And for all of us that have been following Jesus for any amount of time, today I want to remind you who you belong to. You are not lazy, broken, worthless. You are not forgotten, thrown away, used up, and wasted. You are not a liar, a jerk, a dummy. That's not who you are. you're a son and you're a daughter of the king so whatever your situation is remember that your condition is different and today look in the mirror and remind yourself who you belong to and somewhere in the crowded busyness of life you find a way to come to Jesus And you leave this room, you leave this worship time more boldly and confidently than you came in because you now know who you are according to Jesus. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for letting us read in your word today of your healing power. And I thank you that you care about the individual person Father, you don't get into the crowd and overlook the faces, but you're willing to leave the crowd to help each one. And Father, when you do, you don't see us with the label the world has slapped on us, but you see us the way you made us. I pray, Father, that that we worshiping today in this service and the one before and the one after, we would all be set free from whatever has been hurting us and making us struggle for so long now. We would all live free, healed, restored, whole lives in you. And that, Father, we would never let anybody, no human, no devil, whisper in our ear, why bother ever again? Because we now know that if you say it, you mean it. And so we don't have to be afraid because we choose to believe your word. Father, I thank you for all that. And I pray you would continue to remind us of it every moment of the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thanks again for tuning in to the Christian Church of Carl Junction podcast. If you're looking to take next steps in following Jesus, please email me at Kenan at cccj.church. And I would love to connect with you in taking your next step in following Jesus.